Have you noticed that in recent years, there's been quite an increase of people saying that they're triggered? It may seem like more people than not are getting triggered left and right every day. And I'm here to tell you that that's been happening for quite a long time. With that being said, being triggered has become a catchphrase of sorts. And because of that, it's becoming disconnected from its actual meaning and losing its power. If you're curious about what triggers are, what triggers you may have, and how to reclaim their power, you are exactly where you need to be. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana. I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the mental wellness practice. In this episode, we will explore the relationship between triggers and behavior, influences on our behavior, how triggers form, and how we can unlock the power of our triggers to cultivate mental wellness. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. For more information, check out the show notes, reach out at drshana.com or touch base on Instagram at drshana. Thanks for learning and growing with me. How we act and interact is deeply influenced by our mental well-being and vice versa. Oftentimes our actions and interactions are actually where we get tipped off to a mental health problem, whether in ourselves, in others, or all of the above. You might notice that someone isn't behaving as usual, or perhaps something is pointed out about you that you didn't realize, or perhaps someone says something that rubs you the wrong way, and then you actually learn that so did you. <laughs> to take our mental well-being into our own hands means better understanding the dynamic relationship between our emotions, our thoughts, and our behaviors. In order to do that, we have to take a closer look at our triggers. Doing so helps us to regulate our emotions, think healthier thoughts, and foster happier relationships. So what makes us act the way we do? Or in other words, what triggers us to behave the way we do? There are a variety of influences on our behavior, and whether we realize it or not, there are a combination of factors causing us to act a certain way in any given moment. Now, if we're interested in shifting or improving our behaviors, it's helpful to consider what these variables may be. Here are some examples. First up, cue Lady Gaga, maybe you were born that way. A decent amount of scientists believe that genetics still play a pretty big part in personality and then therefore how we behave you know thinking about your temperament we are born just differently and if you've ever spoken to a parent of multiples twins triplets and such you'll hear them attest to this and it's really interesting way to look at it because it's as close as we can pretty much get to an experiment right you have two individuals born usually around a few minutes apart. And other than that, they're raised pretty similarly, similar parenting styles, what they're exposed to, et cetera, et cetera. But yet they might be so different. And that speaks a lot to their personality. And then just how they behave is influenced by genetics. 
Another example is the environment. You know, where did you live? Especially where did you live growing up? Who was around? What was going on in that time? You know, were you raised in a household with lots of people or one person? Were you raised in a quiet household versus a loud household? Were you raised in a highly structured setting versus a a laissez-faire household instead? What was going on at that time? Were you raised, you know, I'm thinking about lots of kids these days were raised in a really unique time period in terms of being born in the pandemic and being raised in that time. Totally different from lots of other children. And you notice earlier I was giving the example in genetics about parents of multiples and not just siblings, because even if siblings are born pretty close in age, the environment usually shifts a little bit. Even just thinking about the caregivers are different because the timing is different. So environment can play a pretty decent factor on how we behave. Similar to that, it's also how we were molded. This is how we were told to behave pretty much. Um, What were we told and how did that form how we perceive things and therefore how we behave as well? You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about an example for this and I have such a vivid memory of my childhood. And I share this with you. It sounds, it's such a random example, but I don't know. It's so loud in my mind. So anyway, I was raised with cats and I, I thought that was like a normal thing. I don't know. I think that's normal, right? Cat people, where are you? Anyway, we would have visitors from time to time. And it was always interesting to see how different people reacted. And I remember there was one time that I was pretty excited because I had some little visitors coming over. So they were younger than me, maybe around the age of like somewhere between like three and six, I'd say. Um, anyhow, I was excited to kind of let them see the cats, you know, like kids and pets. It's such a cute thing. So we were, that's the, the second they opened the door, um, someone had said, be careful of the cats. They're going to scratch you. <laughs> you know, so I laugh at that now because I'm just like, what? Like, you know, I remember being a child thinking like, wait, I mean, they might scratch you, but they might not. And then just kept going on. Like, they're going to scratch you. They're going to bite you. And I could see these kids just slowly becoming molded to not only be scared, but be like cat averse. Um, So essentially they were directly told in some ways, stay away from the cat. It's going to bite you, scratch you. Um, Rules, insights, directions that really can leave a mark on us. That mark can be left even without being directly told. So of course, direct insights, expectations, rules, etc. We can understand how that would have an impression. But even if it's not sent to us, that still leave an impression that starts to affect our behavior. And that relates to modeling. So if we go back to that memory, while this wasn't the case, let's say that no one actually said, stay away from the cat, the cat's going to scratch you or bite you. But instead, When the adult figure walks into the room, they jump back at the cat and squeal and run away and won't touch the animal. That is message enough that this is not safe. I should stay away and I'm scared. 
especially if you're dealing with that power dynamic of someone who's older, more informed, experienced, etc., that can become internalized in someone younger or less informed. And that can also just happen even when the playing field is leveled. But someone's more susceptible, of course, if they're younger and they don't have as much experience. Speaking of experiences, our direct experiences, whether pleasant or unpleasant, start to form our mind frame and then how we behave. So this, I think a lot of times, this one is really important because when we hear the term triggered these days, it's always something negative. I do not hear people using this term for the opposite realm, but technically triggers happen across the spectrum. So a positive experience can cause you to be triggered for something positive in the future. So for example, something really important that you need to know about me is that I love pizza. Yep, it's true. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not making this up. It is something that is a passion of mine and it has been since childhood. Anyway, that's probably not hard to believe knowing that I was born and raised in New York. So yep, you're probably guessing what type of pizza I love the most. And yes, I've tried the others. I can already hear some of you mentioning, but what, but no. Anyhow, even just thinking about this right now, I am like Pavlov's dog right now. I could salivate just thinking about it. <laughs> and that's the conditioning, right? And if you do not get that Pavlov's dog re reference, I was gonna say recipe. See, I cannot get my mind off of it now that I used it. Anyway, if you don't get that reference, I'm going to add it into the show notes because that is classic in terms of knowing about conditioning, triggers, and behavior. So I'm going to put that in there for you if you want to learn a little bit more. Anyhow, the point is my association with pizza, even when I'm talking about it right now, but what I was going to say is anytime I hear someone talk about New York or I'm going to visit and I book my ticket, I'm immediately excited. And yes, there's lots of wonderful things to do in New York and there's lots of wonderful people to see. That's true too. But if I were to just be really simple and honest for a moment, it's also because I'm darn excited about going to have pizza. And it's just the truth, okay? It doesn't mean I'm less excited about other things. It just means I'm excited about pizza, especially New York pizza. So with that being said, that over time has been positive experience after positive experience after positive experience, just conditioning and confirming that I've had great behavioral experiences, exchanges, interactions with delicious bread, cheese, and sauce. That has caused me to have a really favorable interest in wanting to consume more bread, cheese, and sauce. On the opposite end of the spectrum, what we're more apt to hear about is that past experiences can cause us to be triggered for something unpleasant. And then we might behaviorally might become averse to something. So another example blast from the past, it's like super story time today, is when I was growing up, I, well, I, I think I'm still kind of like this. I 
hate getting my blood drawn. And I was thinking about this. I remember way back in the day when this started to develop, I used to be told like, don't be scared. It's just a needle. It's fine. It's just a little prick. No big deal. And I believe that I truly did. It is just a needle. It's just a little prick. I've done it before. No big deal. But one time I fainted and at that time in my life, I had not heard about, I was under 10. I, I don't remember how old, but I had not heard of people fainting. I had not seen anyone fainting. No one had described what fainting was like. No one told me I could faint. So this was, and I don't know if you've ever fainted before. I hope you haven't, but if you have, it, ugh, it's the worst. Um, it's a pretty unpleasant experience. So I, because of fainting that time and all of that confusion and just not feeling great after the next time I went in, I was scared and everyone thought that I was scared of the needle or of, I don't know what everyone thought I was. So don't be scared. Don't be scared. But no one ever talked to me about the fainting and, you know, looking back, that was really what it was. It was the fainting that caused me to anytime I see a needle, and especially if it means I'm getting blood drawn, not just an injection, that I would just have this aversive reaction. And gosh, I would try to, I would have to get like fooled to go get labs because I just would not want to do it. Um, and I would be pretty avoidant about needles. I mean, well, throughout adulthood. And yeah, that's, I'm not a pretty avoidant person. So that's a, that's an example that I can offer you for that. Beyond our experiences and beyond what we've either witnessed from people, even if we haven't directly experienced it, even wider than that, our behaviors can be influenced by social norms and expectations. So for example, we may tend to lower our voice naturally when we enter a library or a place of worship. You may turn your phone off at a wedding, even before you're told to do so. And a more specific example, because those are those you might think of like, oh, well, that was a rule one time or another. So that's a rule. So the thing about the social norms and expectations is that they can be pretty subjective or by group. It's not a universal given, but that subjectivity still leaves an imprint on what we use as our guidelines of behavior. An example I can give you is that I was always raised in households without shoes in the house. We believe that to this day, I, I, I don't prefer it. So we keep shoes at the door. And it's interesting. I started to notice that as people come over now, they, no one directly asks me anymore. Do I leave my shoes off? Can I leave my shoes? No one, no one does that. It's interesting. The second you open the door, someone comes in and they do the glancing, like glancing, like, okay, there's shoes down here. Let me look around everyone's feet. Okay. Nope. No shoes, no shoes, no shoes. Okay. And then just take their shoes off. Um, so that's an example of a social norm that exists in our households and how behavior is shifted as a consequence of that. Essentially, all of these influences cause our brains to make associations over time. We become conditioned to respond to a stimulus. You may have heard this referred to as being triggered. Our brains just code things. 
Ever have that moment when you meet someone new and you know immediately, nope, not a fan. I don't know, maybe it's the energy, the vibe, fill in the blank, other seemingly immeasurable thing. Not sure what, but I know this person is not for me. You might not know it at the time, but your brain has already so quickly scanned, scanned you, scanned them, the situation, calculated all of that and made a swift assessment. Now try this with me. Think about a place that you love to visit. Now imagine if you're there, you're there with someone you adore. You're finishing up eating a food that you enjoy and you're about to head off to do something that you love. And as you're doing that, your favorite song starts playing. Boom, I just loaded you up with lots of triggers, my friend. And those triggers that I likely cause are a bunch of positive emotions, perhaps positive thoughts came swiftly after that. And oh, it could be nice and confusing too, because perhaps some of you experience this mix of positive and negative. Like if you thought about someone that you adore, but then you also realized, well, I'm not on speaking terms with this person right now. Or if you thought about a food that you love and then you remembered, well, the last time I had that, I got sick. Or the last time you did that one thing that you loved, perhaps you got injured. So using this example to let you know that we all get triggered. It happens easily. It happens all the time. Maybe you notice it, maybe you don't, but it is a normal part of the human experience. With that being said, knowing the trigger helps us to better manage our actions. We can better manage preventatively. If we know our triggers ahead of time, then that gives us an option to prepare. Maybe we might discern that it's best to even take a detour or avoid a situation altogether to not become triggered. We can also manage reactively. Even if we don't know the trigger ahead of time and we're not able to prevent or detour or avoid or anything like that, if we recognize that we are either being triggered or have been triggered, then that gives us the opportunity to make the distinction between reacting and responding. Without knowing the trigger or more specifically, without realizing that we were triggered. That gives us no opportunity to respond. We just impulsively, habitually, that programming that I mentioned, quick calculation, swift reaction. We basically are just kind of hijacked by our own minds and bodies. Now, generally our minds, you know, does want to protect us, but it doesn't mean that it's having, as you know, from the last episode, doesn't mean that there's rational thinking there. So if we recognize that we either are being triggered or were recently triggered, then that gives us an opportunity to create a little bit of space between that trigger and what we do next. So 
if you know this or notice this, then you might be able to see a sliver of opportunity to shift your behaviors. And when that's practiced over time, that space begins to widen. It starts to feel more familiar. And with time, you become more adept. In the past few sessions, we've been exploring the mental wellness triangle, emotions, thoughts, and right now we're exploring behaviors. So now let's go ahead and put them all together with a traditional sequence. Based on what we've covered so far, it might be helpful for you to think about one of the recent triggers that you've experienced. Use something medium level here, not something that will require any additional help to process, but something triggering enough that'll help you go through the sequence. So what most people think happens, if we spend any time thinking about triggers at all, is that the trigger occurs and then it goes straight to a feeling. Now, this is partially true, but this direct sequence feeds into that bad rep that emotions have. And if that part is confusing for you, please jump back to the emotions episode six. What really happens is that there's a trigger, a thought in between, and then that's where the emotion pops up. So if you're trying to work along with a recent trigger you had, see if you can start to think about those things. What was the trigger? What was the thought? And how did that serve as a catalyst for the emotion? And as we know from episode seven, we have the opportunity to shift our thoughts. It's the thoughts that have the opportunity to change. Whereas usually we are so hyper-focused on minimizing, shaming, blaming, judging, avoiding, ignoring our feelings. So we just need to shift that energy a little bit more, make space for the feeling and look at the areas that we can change. Speaking of, not only does it usually go trigger, thought, emotion, sometimes there's another thought that follows, but what happens next is usually our behavior. Lots of times we are so focused on someone or something triggering us that we neglect to realize how activated and potentially dysregulated that we are. So I'm hoping that this gives you an opportunity to see more about how the mental wellness triangle plays together. And I'm giving you a traditional sequence here. I am not saying that every single time your mind follows this formula. But I have found that in my work with clients and counseling, that it is pretty eye-opening when you start to go from just trigger to emotion, or for some people trigger to behavior, and you kind of expand this accordion and see it as trigger, thought, emotion, behavior. Again, we may or may not be able to manage about the trigger, but that's an area that we can work on. We can definitely work on shifting the quality of our thoughts. And then if we hop over to behavior, that gives us an opportunity to shift too. Throughout this episode, we've talked about a few practical things that you can do to better understand your triggers, how they relate to your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, 
and how your triggers are an important part in your mental well-being. But let's go ahead and delve into a few more activities. You may have started making a mental note of this, but I do encourage us to think about what a trigger list looks like for ourselves. The truth is triggers based on all of those influences that we covered earlier in the session are quite subjective from person to person. So yeah, a loved one might have a similar trigger to you, but it's not guaranteed that it affects them the same way. So that personal reflection is a big part of the self-awareness journey and the overall mental wellness journey. So you might want to make a trigger list of sorts, lean into what triggers you have and what thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are elicited in the process. Usually when I'm working with clients, I find it helpful to make a grid of sorts. And, you know, if we were to put every little single trigger down, you know, that's not possible. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily effective or productive, but to take time ever so often and kind of shift into what is it that is bringing things up for me? You know, what is it that's causing me to have unhealthy thoughts? What's causing me to have, you know, strong emotions? What's causing me to act unlike myself? A trigger list can be really helpful in that. And fast forward into the future, if you're having those same thoughts and you already have a trigger list, then that helps you to not have to recreate the wheel. You might already know something and you think, oh, I notice here's this thing. Yeah, I realize that really does trigger me and it's been triggering me more as of late. Therefore, I have not been aligned with the best version of myself. If you find this process challenging, or if you are going through and there are some triggers you're noticing that are causing you to feel a bit stuck, that's a really good sign to seek professional help. Also, caution hyper-focusing on the triggers that prompt unpleasant experiences. I know this is all about shifting from mental illness to mental wellness, so you might want to look for those things, those challenges to work through, and I applaud you for that. But as we covered in episode one, it's a huge miss when we're so focused on the negative that there's some strengths right there, not to serve as a silver silver lining. What is that word? Silver lining, but to be able to then use as fuel as we're working through some of these more challenging experiences too. Speaking of that, We've covered the really important aspect of self-care in the mental wellness process and finding those triggers that specifically elicit positive emotions, positive thoughts, positive behaviors. All of those healthy experiences can be really helpful when you are in a challenging zone or just really on any given day. So if you think about your triggers like a magnet, What types of magnets would you like when you want to be calm? So what triggers your calmness? What about when you're wanting to believe in yourself? What triggers that? What about when you are wanting to act in a way that is aligned with your core values? What triggers you to be in that way? So those are technically triggers too, but we only tend to look at triggers when they are something negative, challenging, and overwhelming. So please 
Don't make that mistake and it'll help you unlock the power of your triggers. Knowing our triggers helps us to know how to live an engaged life. Triggers help us to find power in how we think, feel, and show up in the world. Learning our triggers opens a door of self-love, and it paves a path for healthier relationships in which we can veer from dangerous triggers, communicate our needs, and design healthier boundaries. I'm so glad you joined me in this session. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only, and if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. Thank you for learning and growing with me.